Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text is from Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Asina O'Neill was a model on Instagram in 2015. She had over half a million followers, and by all accounts, her career was about to take off. What she would do is that she would post pictures of herself wearing some of the latest fashions, and then people would respond and comment, and hopefully enough people would respond and comment and react to her post that it would catch the attention of some moguls in the fashion industry. And there she would pick up sponsorships for herself. And that was going well. And then one day, all of a sudden, she went back through all of the pictures that she had posted and rewrote all the captions underneath. Typically, she had written things something like this, casual selfie, and it'd be a picture of her standing in some kind of dress or whatever, smiling at the camera, just a casual selfie. But she took captions like that and rewrote them. So going through her Instagram account, you could find things like this, I'm sucking in for this picture or this dress isn't even mine, or I took 70 pictures and it took three hours to figure out the exact pose for this shot you're seeing now. And this disturbed a whole lot of people. She laid out the reality underneath the images that everyone was seeing, and many were shocked. But if you're wondering, as seen as doing quite well, She quit Instagram two days later and and opted to join a site that she feels allows herself to be more honest with what she's going through and what she's experiencing and to share her thoughts more freely. But there's one caption that caught my imagination. There's one caption that caught my attention. It was one of the ones she rewrote. So there's a picture of her. It's a typical one. She's standing in in some uh, type of clothing or some type of the latest fashion. And underneath that picture... It says this, nothing about this is real. Nothing about this is real. And you may not even have social media. You may not be on Instagram. But all of us, in one way or another, tend to pose based on the situation around us. We, we pose in a way that the world expects us to. We say certain things because those are the things that we should say. We do certain things because that's how we, sh- we should appear. We dress a certain way because we need to look a certain way according to the customs and expectations of the world around us. And it's not just in how we relate to other people, but we also tend to pose before God. We do the things that we think God wants us to do. We say the things that God wants us to say. We go to church and show up in other places that God wants us to show up in as a sort of way of trying to make ourselves look good before God. But when we see the baptism of Jesus, 
today we're confronted with this truth. The baptism of Jesus ends our fashion show religion to reveal to us that Jesus stands with the ugly. The baptism of Jesus ends our fashion show religion to reveal to us that Jesus stands with the ugly. John the baptizer had garnered a lot of attention for himself. There were many people who came out to hear his preaching and also to receive his baptism. People from all around Judea and also Jerusalem had come out to hear his message and to receive a baptism of repentance. And so this caught the attention even of the religious elite, the religious celebrities of, those, of, the, of that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when the Pharisees and Sadducees came out and saw a man in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, a man whose skin had been burned and browned by the sun after standing hours outside, they didn't see anything righteous about him at all. And they knew what righteousness looked like. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew what righteousness looked like. Pharisees in those days were known for wearing this thing called a phylactery. A phylactery. A phylactery is a box. And I know this is weird, but a phylactery is a box that a person would wear on their head or on their right arm. It was attached to the person's head or arm by a leather strap. So they, they wore boxes on their head or on their arms. And, and inside of these boxes, these phylacteries contained leather skin that passages of scripture were written on. And so these phylacteries were worn as a way of reminding the Pharisees of their obedience and of their need for righteousness before God. Uh, they also wore these garments that had long tassels hanging down from the corners. And these tassels had blue cords that reminded Israel of the glory of God. And also, once again, it was another reminder to obey the commandments of God. So the tassels and the phylacteries were sort of a sign of righteousness. And the Pharisees wore them well. But it wasn't just the clothes that they wore, but it was also the way that they acted. You could see righteousness all about them. A Pharisee had certain hours of, of the day where they would stop and pray. No matter what was going on, if it became time for prayer, they would stop. So they would be walking down the street, and all of a sudden it would be noon or, or whatever time they would pray, and they would stop right there in the street corner and begin to pray out loud in front of everybody else. Or, for example, if they were going on a trip and they were, had one foot in the saddle of a camel or whatever they were riding, and it became time to pray, they would take that foot out of the saddle, plant it back down on the ground, and begin to pray. But when John the baptizer sees the Pharisees and Sadducees coming in all their righteousness, he wasn't impressed. Because he saw underneath the things that they wore and the things that they did and the things that they said, and he saw men clutching at pride. So he says to him that the wrath of God is coming, and it's coming for you. And don't think that the clothes that you wear, the things that you say, or even the fact that you can prove that you are a child of Abraham, that you descended from Abraham, is going to be able to save you. The only thing left for you to do now is repent. 
as they walked away from John the Baptist, all signs indicate that his words made no mark on them, no change. And as they were leaving, if they did happen to see Jesus, they probably weren't impressed by him either. Remember that where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, here in chapter 3, they don't yet really know who Jesus is at this time. And so all they could judge by was the appearance, and so they saw a humble man standing in line to be baptized. Maybe that's it. And that, to them, was nothing. We have a way of picturing righteousness, too. And we have some thoughts on how righteousness should look. I want you right now to imagine a picture of Jesus. Just imagine Jesus in your minds right now. And if you're doing that, then you might be picturing Jesus on the cross. That's true. I'll give you that. There's a lot of images of Jesus being crucified, and maybe one of those is being held in your mind right now. But I would guess that a lot of us, and myself included, picture Jesus from one of those other kinds of paintings that we see. You know, where Jesus is happy and healthy. Maybe he's even smiling. He's got perfectly brown skin, teeth that is whiter than ours, even though we have toothbrushes and he didn't. And of course, the hair, the thick, brown, flowing hair, glorious hair. Jesus is always painted with glorious hair. You know, hair so glorious that if he was traveling on an ancient Roman highway and he took off the shawl that covered his head and whipped out that long, beautiful hair, you know he'd stop camel traffic. Am I right? I'm right. We'd like to see Jesus like this. If we're honest, seeing him crucified might still make us a little bit uncomfortable. I can remember that a time when I went to Wittenberg, Germany, and I stood in a museum inside of Wittenberg University. And Wittenberg, Universe, Wittenberg, Germany, by the way, is the place where much of the Reformation happened. It's where Luther taught and preached and wrote many of his writings that changed the world. And so Martin Luther lived in this town, and you can find out a lot about Martin Luther by, by going to this place. And so at this museum inside of Wittenberg University, there's this large painting by a painter named Lucas Cranach. He lived at the same time that Martin Luther did, and he himself, in his own way, was a reformer. He helped share the message of the Reformation, the message of grace alone, faith alone, and scripture alone, through his paintings. So at this museum, one of Cronach's paintings is there, and it makes me uncomfortable. Even to picture it now, I remember seeing it then, but even to picture it now, it makes me uncomfortable. He painted Jesus being crucified, which is not unusual. We've seen that thousands of times. Jesus on the cross. But what is a little bit unusual is that standing next to Jesus on the right side as you face the painting are a few people from the Reformation in the 1500s, which is about 1,500 years after Jesus was crucified. But Lucas Cronach doesn't care. He paints them in any way. And of course, if you're including a painting with reformers in it, you're going to need to have Martin Luther. And so on the far right side stands Martin Luther. Now, what makes me uncomfortable is not that, but this. 
In the side where Jesus had been stabbed by a Roman spear, blood is shooting out, and it's landing on Martin Luther's face. Blood from Jesus is shooting out in this painting from his side and landing on Martin Luther's face. We kind of cringe to think of that if you haven't seen it. It's hard to imagine, and we don't want to imagine it. We'd much rather imagine Jesus the other way, happy, healthy, not crucified. Why is that? Because we'd really rather not have to have Jesus die on the cross. We'd rather it be that our works are good enough that Jesus would see what we've done and it would be attractive to him and he would say, that's great, and he would ignore all the rest. If we look at Jesus crucified, then we have to admit that it was our sin that crucified him. That he is on the cross because of the ugliness inside of us cross kind of ends our religious fashion show, doesn't it? Martin Luther also knew that fashion show himself. Martin Luther, the great reformer, as we contemplate the message of the Reformation on this Reformation Sunday, we look first at a monk who totally bought into the show. He, he bought the brown robe. He shaved his head. He joined the monastery, and by the way that he looked and the way that he acted, he was completely and totally righteous, except for the fact that Martin Luther was constantly haunted by his sin. He thought that the righteousness of God was going to be revealed at his judgment, that when God returned, he was going to separate the people who were good and the people who were bad, and the people who were bad were going to be punished eternally, and the people who were good were going to be saved and receive heaven. And as Luther thought about that, he also began to realize just how deep and dark his own sin was. And no matter what he did, he couldn't quite overcome it. He even beat himself to the point of bleeding. He would spend hours in a confessional booth confessing to a man named Johann Staupitz, time and time again, day after day, hour after hour, confessing every possible little sin he could think of. The point that Staupitz said, stop it! <laughs> Go out and commit a real sin, and then tell me about that. But I'm tired of hearing about how you stole an eraser from another child in kindergarten. But then, somewhere along the way, breakthrough happened. Luther was freed from having to try and power wash his conscience so that when God returned, it would look good enough for him to consider Martin worthy of heaven. And Luther discovered that the righteousness of God that was being revealed was a gift, a gift that came from Jesus Christ, a righteousness that covers all sin a righteousness that is not earned, a righteousness that is free to the sinner, 
Martin Luther discovered that forgiveness, grace, doesn't come from works or efforts. That it doesn't come from or come to those who look good enough to God on their own. But rather, grace is for the sinner who believes in Jesus, apart from any works or effort or merit. And that discovery ended the show. We see that now here. That same idea being communicated to us in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is standing in line to be baptized by John. And each person in that line is confessing their sins to John. So maybe Jesus is behind someone who confessed an affair or they were a gossip or that they had stolen or even that they had murdered. Jesus stands in line with that. Stands in the waters with those kinds of people. And Luther, when he reflects on Jesus' baptism, says this. You know, it's kind of odd that Jesus would need to be baptized because he's not a sinner. He has no sin. Yet, also, Jesus is the greatest sinner because he's bearing the sins of the whole world. He's bearing the sins of the whole world. He's bearing your sins and my sins and all the sins of those people that he's standing in the water with. All the worst things that they have done. All the ugly things that they have done. Even the most hideous. When we see Jesus standing in the water to be baptized, we see a Jesus who has come for all. And a Jesus who is not so concerned about appearances. Matthew has been very concerned with giving us how Jesus has fulfilled all these prophecies from the Old Testament up until this point. And the same is true here, even though he doesn't quote the prophecy exactly. But as we look at Jesus' baptism and the Spirit of God coming down upon Jesus and God the Father saying that this is my beloved Son, we can find that moment spoken of by Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 42. God the Father speaks through Isaiah and says this, Behold my son, whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him. As Jesus comes up out of the water, God the Father says, This is my son. And my spirit is now upon him to do ministry. And my spirit now anoints him for death on the cross. And as we read through the rest of Isaiah chapter 42, we find out that this is not a Messiah who will come in and make a big show. This is not a Messiah who will appear perfectly righteous to everyone who lays eyes on him, but rather he will be like a bruised reed that won't break, a smoldering wick that won't quite go out. A servant from God, from the Father, who will suffer because he carries the sins of the world. Savior, He's not afraid to associate with sinners. At this point, I feel like I should tell you that I have a big announcement. And I think it's something that's weighing on just about everyone's mind today. It's important news. And we have to talk about it. Kanye West has released a new album. 
Kanye West has released a new album, Jesus is King. That's what the album is titled, Jesus is King. Kanye has said that he is now converted to Christianity, that he believes in Jesus. And if you know anything about Kanye West, there's a little bit of troubled history there, a severe struggle with mental illness, and also some of his comments from the past will make you think that he doesn't worship anyone but himself. But there appears to be some kind of change in Kanye. He just released an album that has nothing but music that is dedicated to Jesus. For example, there's one song where he repeats this, John 8, 3, 6, who the sun sets free is free indeed. John 8, 3, 6, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And Kanye also recognizes that his new conversion is going to ruffle the feathers of many people, even inside of the church, because in that same song that I just referenced earlier, he says something like this, even the church won't accept me, make it feel like nobody loved me. And he repeats that, even the church won't accept me, make it feel like nobody loved me. Now we might want to lean back from Kanye's conversion. That's some, something that I'm tempted to do, and maybe it's something that you're tempted to do. We've, if you know him, you know he says crazy things and does some things that are kind of silly from time to time. And it could be that even next week he will deconvert and go back to everything else he was doing before. It's true, it's possible. But the point here is that even if that happens, we've seen that Jesus is not afraid to stand in the waters with even Kanye West in a way that opens up Kanye's lips to give him praise. Jesus has come for all. That it's the glorious message of the Reformation. That's the glorious message that was rediscovered in the Reformation, the, the message that had been in scriptures all along, Christ alone for the sinner. Christ alone for the sinner. That Jesus came not to tell us to do more to get the grace we need. He didn't come to turn his back on the most ugly or hideous thing you've ever done. But he came to take that upon himself. That's exactly what the Father sent him to do. That he might bear your sin. That he might bear everything about you that has gone wrong, that is broken. And die for it. By taking you, or by taking your punishment, he gives you his grace freely and completely and fully so that every sin you have committed is forgiven, atoned for, and paid for. And that you now wear the righteousness of God given to you by Christ apart from anything you've done. It's yours, free. Jesus has come to give you all of that. And all of that, everything about it, is real. Amen.